Good morning. I was watching Pastor Darren. I'm not sure he knows where to sit when he's not preaching. He was all over that front pew. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And I want to begin today with this idea. The Christmas story is really a love story. We were separated from God by sin. We were rebelling against God and deserving of judgment. But God loved us anyway, and he pursued us. We desperately needed a rescue. We desperately needed a savior. And so God came. The one true and living God left heaven and took flesh to save us from sin and death and hell. The Bible has over a hundred titles describing Jesus, but I think my personal favorite is Emmanuel. It's a simple reminder that God is with us. He stepped out of heaven and he stepped into human history to provide a remedy for sin once and for all. You see, God promised that a Savior would come. The prophets proclaimed it and the people watched and waited. And in the fullness of time, his promise was fulfilled. But it wasn't what you might expect. He left the glories of heaven, but he wasn't born in rich and lavish surroundings. He was a king, but he wasn't born with pomp and circumstance. The Son of God came humbly. He was born in a stable with nothing but a manger for a bed and strips of cloth to keep him warm. The first Christmas was quiet and unassuming. A father and a mother and a baby lying in the hay. And how did God choose to announce this miraculous birth, this coming of the Savior? Did he send word to the palace? Did he let everybody know at the temple? Did he walk through the streets telling people it's time, it's time? No. He turned to the fields outside of town where shepherds were watching their flocks. And these simple shepherds were the first ones in the whole world to hear the proclamation of the gospel. And I want us to take a look at their story together. So if you want to follow along, I'll be reading out of Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, a familiar passage. But I've titled uh, today's message, Through the Eyes of the Shepherds. So read along with me. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his precious word. Well, I want to start with the idea that shepherding is a thankless job. A thankless job. We don't know much about the shepherds in the Christmas story. We don't know their names. Uh, we don't even know how many of them there were. But we know that they were making their living in the hill country outside of Bethlehem. And we know a lot about shepherding in Bible times. Shepherding was hard work. Sheep can't take care of themselves. And if you're the shepherd, that's your job. You have to lead the sheep to water and pasture land every day and bring them back every night. You have to take care of the sheep that are sick and lame. And you have to protect the sheep. There are lions in them hills. There are bears in them hills. And it's up to you to keep the sheep safe. You and a sling and a stone. As a shepherd, you're signing up for long, hot days and long, cold, lonely nights. That's a shepherd's life. Oh, and I should probably mention one more thing. Sheep stink. Uh, their wool is oily, and it has an odor. And honestly, sheep aren't good groomers. They get uh, things caught in their coats, they get dirty, and they stink. I don't know any other way to say it. <laughs> and unfortunately for the shepherds, they were around the sheep all day and all night, carrying them around, checking them for sores and cuts, and they would pick up the stink from the sheep. That's why shepherds were never invited to find dinner parties. They were usually dirty 
and sweaty, and they smelled like the sheep they watched. So shepherds lived on the fringes of society. They weren't exactly outcasts like lepers, but they weren't welcomed with open arms either. And I think that's why God chose to share the good news with them first. These were ordinary, hard-working men. God could have taken the news to the rich and the powerful. God could have taken the news to the famous, but he didn't. He chose the shepherds. And he chose the shepherds so we would understand that the gospel was for everyone. I want to share a quote from uh, Philip Graham Ryken. He's the president of Wheaton College. And uh, Mike, this comes from the, the book that you shared with me. Thank you. Here's what he says. These were the men God wanted to hear the gospel. Working class sinners. Like everything else about the birth of Christ, this upsets our expectations. We tend to think that God is for the good people, when in fact, he's for needy sinners who are desperate for grace. Jesus came to bring down the thrones of the mighty and exalt those of humble estate. And who better to exalt than lowly shepherds? If God had grace for them, he has grace for any poor sinner who will come to Jesus in faith. Amen. T take a look with me at uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. This is from the pen of the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. See, Jesus doesn't draw distinctions. He's not looking at the color of your skin. He's not looking at your net worth or what your resume might say. Jesus came to save sinners, and that's every one of us. Before we come to Jesus, every one of us had the stink of sin, but that didn't keep him from coming. He came to save you and me and all the stinky sinners in the world. And those shepherds in the field are a reminder that God's love isn't reserved for a few. He came for everyone who would receive him. Now Luke tells us that these shepherds were keeping their night vigil, watching over their flock. I'm picturing them sitting on the ground, uh, taking a well-deserved rest, probably warming themselves by the fire. It's an ordinary day, just like a thousand other ordinary days. But all of that was about to change. God was ready to speak. And what Luke shows us next is an angelic message. An angelic message. I can't even imagine what the shepherds were feeling when the angel of God appeared. Luke says he was glowing. 
with the radiance of God's glory. One moment, it was just another humdrum day, and the next moment, there is a heavenly messenger right in their midst. I think we've read the story so many times that we've really lost the wonder of it. One moment, it was quiet, and it was dark. And the next moment, they were blinded by the glory of God. This word that Luke is using doesn't mean a flicker or a beam of light. It means the light was literally everywhere. The light was radiating all around this angel, and the shepherds were washed over by the light. And they were terrified. They weren't just scared. Luke uses the word mega to let us know. They were mega scared. And who can blame them? That's why the angel's first words were meant to calm their hearts. Don't be afraid. Do you know how many times the command, don't be afraid, appears in the Bible? 365 times. One time for every day of the year. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Life is hard. Life is scary. And God knows we need a daily reminder that we don't have to be crippled by fear. He's with us. And he's in control of every situation in our lives. He's our rock. He's our protector. And he overcomes fear. Forgive me for this little detour, but I want you to turn to Psalm 23. This is a well-known song. Many of us grew up memorizing it. But it was written by David. And before he became king... David was a shepherd. He kept watch over his father's flocks. And years later, God opened his eyes to a spiritual truth. Yes, David was a shepherd, but God was his shepherd, and he was the sheep. And there's so much that David packs into verse 4. Listen to what he says. Even though I walk through the valley... Of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, David could say, I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God was his shepherd. David could say, God's with me. His rod keeps me safe and his, his staff can guide my steps. I know that's true and I'm going to live like it's true and I will not be afraid. And I wonder if maybe the shepherds remembered that verse when the angel told them, don't, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. This news is so important and so world-changing that I want you to be calm, I want you to be focused so you don't miss a single word of it. And then the angel made the announcement that changed the course of human history. The Savior has come. 
the Messiah, promised by God, has come. You see, the people of God were watching and waiting for the Savior. They knew that the Savior would accomplish an awesome work of God. When the Savior came, He would bring God's favor. He would preach the good news. He would heal the sick and the brokenhearted. He would comfort the hurting. When the Savior came, He would bring victory over sin and death. And He would actually bear our sins and make it possible for us to have peace with God. Like Mercy Me says, that's not just good news. That's the best news ever. Amen? But the waiting, the waiting was excruciating. The last book in the Old Testament was written by Malachi. Malachi the prophet. And God spoke through Malachi and then silence. God went silent for 400 years. And now, he's speaking to a ragtag group of shepherds huddled together with their flocks in the fields outside of Bethlehem. Now, the shepherds weren't Bible scholars, but believe me, they understood exactly what the angel was telling them. They were filled with awe and excitement, knowing that today, God was fulfilling His promise. Today, the angel said, the Savior is born today in a town that's within walking distance. And He invites you to be witnesses of this miraculous birth. This is the biggest event in human history. And not only is God inviting them to the show, He's giving them front row seats. So it doesn't take them long to decide what they're going to do. Okay, let's go. Let's, let's go to Bethlehem and see what's happened with our own eyes. And they hurried off. And in the original language, this word means immediately. There was no waiting around or lollygagging. We've got to go, and we've got to go now. They understood the urgency, and they hurried off to search for the baby. And that brings us to a faithful search. A faithful search. This is uh, one part of the story that we overlook. The shepherds had to search for the Savior. Uh, back up with me and let's reread verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds were given a sign. The angel didn't give them a street address, and he didn't give them directions to follow. He gave them a sign. A baby, a manger, and strips of cloth. And the rest was up to them. They had to leave their sheep behind. They had to trudge through the fields to the city, and then they had to search. And all they had was a sign. And it's a reminder to me that walking with God takes faith. When we begin our walk of faith, God doesn't 
plug our destination into Google Maps and print off a map that shows us every turn and every stop and every hotel and restaurant along the way. He shows us what we need. Maybe it's a step. Maybe it's two or three. But we have to trust God for what we can't see. Do you remember Abraham in Genesis chapter 12? God told Abraham to leave his country, leave his people, everything that was familiar and comfortable, and here's what God said, and go to a land I will show you. Did Abraham know where he was going? No. Did Abraham know what route he was supposed to take? No. Did he go anyway? Yes! <laughs> That's faith. But, but that's a real struggle for us. We like certainty. We like to plan things out. It makes us feel like we have control. But the people of God walk by faith. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It's short and sweet. This one I promise you can memorize. For we walk by faith, not by by sight. It's not about what we can see. It's not about fooling ourselves into thinking we have control. It's about trusting God. It's about knowing and trusting His character. He's good. Did you know that? He's good. And He's faithful. And He's working to accomplish good in our lives. So we walk with confidence, even when we can't see what's ahead of us. These shepherds trusted God. They had a sign, and that's all they needed. So they hurried off, and they searched until they found the baby. And when they left, they were changed men. And that brings us to a heartfelt sharing a heartfelt sharing. It's interesting, Luke doesn't tell us anything about what happened while the shepherds were visiting, but he has a lot to say about what happened after they left. And the first thing we see is in verse 17. And here's what Luke says. And when they saw it, they made known the saying they had been told concerning this child. It means they spread the word. They began walking up to people and telling them everything they had seen and heard. They became the world's first evangelists. You know, just before Jesus was taken up into heaven, he gathered the disciples together and he gave them a command. We call it the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He left them with a job to do. You know me, now go and tell. You received me as Savior and Lord, now go and tell. And see, it's easy for us to say, oh, that's just for preachers. Preachers get paid to do that evangelism stuff. But listen, I, I can't say this enough. Every believer is an evangelist. 
Tattoo that on your forehead. It's important and it's biblical. Every believer is an evangelist. If you've welcomed Jesus into your heart and life, He has changed you. You used to be dead, but Jesus brought life. You used to be a rebel and a runaway, doing your own thing, but Jesus made you a child of the Most High God. You used to be under God's judgment, but Jesus forgave your sins. And He changed your citizenship. Through Jesus, you have the promise of heaven. And you have to share that. You have the gospel. You have the words of life. Why in the world would you keep that to yourself? These shepherds weren't preachers. They didn't have books on their shelves and diplomas hanging from their wall. But they wanted everyone to know that the waiting was finally over. The Savior has come. They heard what the angel said. They followed the sign. They saw the Savior with their own eyes. And they wanted everyone to hear the news. I pray that we would have a passionate desire to share Jesus like these shepherds. But I'm afraid we spend too much time worrying about political correctness and what people might think or say, and we end up paralyzed. We know that we should share, but we don't. And I think God's heart breaks. I think that's why God gives us the stories of the disciples and how they shared the gospel. And I love the story in Acts chapter 4. I remember preaching this when I was a teenager. Peter and John were preaching at the temple. Then they were arrested and brought before the priests and the elders. And after they were questioned, they were given an order. No more preaching, no more teaching in the name of Jesus. And in verses 19 and 20, we see their answer. And here, here's how the New Living Translation puts it. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. And that should be an encouragement to us. And, and an example for us to follow. We can't keep the gospel buried in our hearts. We have to share Jesus, regardless of the consequences. I came across a wonderful quote from Charles Stanley. God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so simple. One person telling another about the Savior. Yet we're busy and full of excuses. Just remember, someone's eternal destiny is at stake. The joy you'll have when you meet that person in heaven will far exceed any discomfort you felt in sharing the gospel. God, plant in our hearts a desire to share Jesus 
with a lost and dying world. God, help us to be the shepherds in our generation. These shepherds met Jesus, and they left sharing, but they also left praising. A heartfelt praise. A heartfelt praise. The shepherds went back to their sheep, and they went back to their hard work in the fields, but there was something different. Verse 20 tells us, And the shepherds returned, how? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. These shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. I want to stop right here and say that we don't always have a good understanding of what praise means. We think praise means lifting our hands, uh, singing out a, a praise song, and those are ways that we can express our praise. But I, I like Ken Ham's definition of praise. I, I think he gets it. Praise means giving God the recognition He deserves. Whatever we do, whatever we say that lifts God up so that He's admired and honored and revered, that's praise. And there, there's really two parts to praise. We have to engage our, our minds and our hearts. And I ran across a blog by a pastor from Crestline, California, and I wanted to share a quote that says it better than I can. With our minds, we must understand who God is. Otherwise, we aren't worshiping the true God. But also, when you understand who God is and what He's done in sending His own Son to die for your sins, it affects your heart. It fills you with joy and thankfulness. It humbles you to realize that your sin put him there. And it motivates you to follow Christ and please him with all your heart. And then the most challenging thing he says, if you can think about what Jesus did on the cross and shrug it off, you're not a Christian. Let me read that again. If you can think about what Jesus did on the cross and shrug it off, you're not a Christian. Do you really understand what God's done for you and the price that was paid? When you think about the cross, do you understand it was your cross and not His? He took your place and He died your death. When you think about the nails and the spear and the crown of thorns, do you understand that he suffered all of those things for you? He didn't do anything wrong. He was without sin. Every stripe, every bruise, every drop of blood was because of your sin. But he did it willingly because he loved you so much. The baby in the manger grew up to be the man on the cross, dying for you. He was born in a stable, but he had to die to win that salvation for us. 
And then he rose again to give us victory over death itself. These shepherds had a lot to praise God for, but honestly, you and I have even more reason to praise and glorify God. We see the cross. His work began at the manger, but his destination was always the cross. Sin has a heavy price tag, and he paid it on the cross. The only way to come to God is through the cross. Believing that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Believing that He paid the price and conquered sin for you. And receiving Him into your life. And when we do that, there's praise. There's praise. Day by day, as we walk with God, there's praise. Good days, bad days, it doesn't matter. We can still see the cross. We can still see His saving work. And there's praise. These shepherds remind us that everywhere we go, we carry the good news. We've met the Savior. We've experienced His life-giving work. And we should share that and we should give God praise. So let me ask you a question. It's really the most important question you'll be asked in life. Have you met the Savior? Have you come to the cross and said yes to Jesus? I can't think of a better time of year to come to Jesus. Jesus is the first and greatest Christmas gift. He's God's gift to you. And I urge you, come today and say yes to Jesus. And now for the believers in the room, I want to give you the shepherd's challenge. Okay, the shepherd's challenge. These shepherds lived by faith. They took God at His word, and they left their sheep and their fields behind so they could go and look for the Savior. What about you? Are you listening for God? Are you following His leading? Are you willing by faith to go where He says to go and to do what He says to do? That's the heart of a shepherd. And as soon as the shepherds left the manger, they began sharing everything they had seen and heard. Are you willing to step up and be a shepherd? You don't have to be a seminary-trained graduate, but you can share the gospel. You can share from your heart what Jesus has done in your life. Will you do that? And these shepherds, well, they had a song to sing. They went back to their fields glorifying and praising God. When we, live, when we leave church today, we'll go back to our homes, and back to our routines. Uh, maybe tomorrow you'll go to work or school. When you do, will you give God a heartfelt praise? Will you lift Him up and give Him the honor and the recognition He deserves? For all that He is 
and for all that he's done, will you do that? I urge you to be the shepherd God wants you to be. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for these nameless shepherds from 2,000 years ago. We thank you for their faith. We thank you, God, for the, the beautiful picture of sharing the gospel and giving you a praise that comes from the heart. God, I ask that for every believer in the room, you would stir up within us an excitement in our faith. God, remind us that we are shepherds. We are the faithful men and women of this generation. We are the gospel givers of this generation. And we are the ones who have the blessing of praising and glorifying you. And God, if there's anyone today in the sanctuary or within the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak these words of truth, that you would tear down any walls of resistance. God, that you would make known to them who you are, your love and your saving work. And God, may they come into the kingdom today, even today. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, the babe in the manger, the loving Savior who died for us, and the risen Lord who's coming again. In his name we pray. Amen.